Welcome to Courageous Leadership with Travis Yates, where leaders find the insights, advice, and encouragement they need to lead courageously. Welcome back to the show. I'm so honored you have decided to spend a few minutes with us. And I'm going to talk today about something, quite frankly, I'm extremely fatigued to talk about. I think it's probably the most ridiculous thing going on in the profession nationally. It is a sign of utter cowardice and weakness, not only by police leaders, but our national police organizations, that no one's really mentioning this. And that's why I feel compelled to discuss it, because quite frankly, the issue of federal consent decrees on law enforcement is so ridiculously corrupt and it's so ridiculously wrong. The idea that very few, if any, I could list on one hand how many sort of national figures are even mentioning this, it makes me sick to my stomach. When you say silence is violence, that is the truth when it comes to consent decrees. Roland Fryer, an esteemed professor, an African-American gentleman, has done some outstanding studies with law enforcement. And one of the studies that he recently did showed that consent decrees literally are killing people. You can expect more murders under consent decrees. He listed out since the uh, events, since consent decrees became widespread, there's been over 900 murders in addition to what normally would have been. Many of those are African American victims. This is the most horrific thing going on in the profession today. And those of you listening to this, you all know it. Very few people will talk about it, but it has to end. And we're going to talk about what's happening in Phoenix right now. But I want to first sort of line out for you why this is so horrendous. First off, let me address the police organizations. We have some huge police organizations. None of them have spoken about this. I'm talking about the IACP, the FOP, a bunch of other ones, but I'll pick specifically on the IACP that takes that the majority of their funding comes from the Department of Justice. That's who coordinates consent decrees. So it's no secret why they're going to stay silent. And when you really dive into what consent decrees are. Now, let me give you the background. This came out in the 1994 crime bill. It was part of that crime bill that added 100,000 cops on the streets. Many of you are familiar with that. And a little small section of that crime bill gave the federal government the authority to do what they call pattern and practice investigations in law enforcement. Now, the interesting thing is they don't define what a pattern and practice is. And so what has occurred for the last 30 years is the Department of Justice has selectively uh, gone into certain cities and they have launched investigations. They typically will go into it. They'll spend years doing the investigation. They'll get all the information, all the data, all the body cameras, all the reports, and they'll come out with a report and they will place consent decree monitors over the department. They are essentially running the department, a ton of bureaucracy, uh, a ton of money flowing. These consent decree monitors' salaries begin at a million dollars, oftentimes go north of that. That doesn't even count the staff that works for them. I'll give you an example of the money this costs. Minneapolis, 
just placed $25 million into their budget. That's a two-year budget. But it's typical to for departments to spend hundreds of millions of dollars through the course of a consent decree. Almost every consent decree lasts 10 to 20 years. The only reason they haven't lasted more than 20 years is because it's a relatively new phenomenon. But there's a reason why they last so long. It has nothing to do with, oh, this department is now improved and it's better. When you're paying a consent decree monitor over a million dollars and then a bunch of other people, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they are the people that will tell you whether you have complied or not and can now remove yourself from this, you know a monitor makes writes about four reports a year. They write a quarterly report. That's what they do. In fact, oftentimes, they don't even live in the city that they're monitoring. So can you imagine? These are typically lawyers with Department of Justice ties. You see the money flow here. When this kind of money is flowing, you're never going to get out of it. And the DOJ is smart in this sense, is they don't go into cities that are going to argue. They selectively pick cities where the politics swing their way, where they just get the politicians to say, yes, we'll do it. In fact, they get the politicians, the decision maker, typically a mayor, to say yes before they've even seen the evidence. And when you read these consent decree reports, it's comedy, folks. It's absolute sheer comedy. Now, I don't have time to go into every single aspect of it. I've written several articles on this. I want to place the links down below. In fact, I've put so much together, I'm probably going to have to write some sort of resource or book for agencies, but it won't matter because we still have weak, cowardly leaders that just bend over and say, yes, please come run our department. But let me kind of explain to you the damage that this is doing. Now, this is just a small snapshot of what has occurred in other cities. See, that's why I can say without a doubt, with 100% certainty, that this is the most destructive thing going on in law enforcement today. And it's all about money. It's not about making things better because they don't make things better. Because we have 30 years of historical data to draw from. Let me just give you a small section of that data. I'm going to talk about three consent decree cities that have all been consent decrees for well over a decade. New Orleans, Seattle, and Albuquerque. Yes, all cities that you will never take a vacation in, all cities that you know anecdotally have become far worse in the last decade. I mean, Seattle and Portland, I've, I've been there years ago. They were beautiful cities, beautiful cities. It's a complete pit now. And let me just give you what the data says after a consent decree went in. New Orleans entered a consent decree in 2010. Since then, their violent crime has risen 100%. You heard that right. 100%. Their budget since that time increased 83%. And their staffing was reduced by 36%. That's not, that doesn't mean they cut staffing, folks. It means no one wants to work there. Why would they? Now, that's not just a one-off. Let's talk about Seattle. They entered a consent decree in 2011. Since then, their violent crime has risen 53%. Their budget ballooned 43%, and their staffing was reduced by 16%. Albuquerque, 
They entered a consent decree in 2012. Since then, their violent crime has risen 80%, while their budget ballooned 38%, and their staffing was reduced by 11%. The only thing that a consent decree guarantees a city or a department is that the budget, bureaucracy, and crime rates will rise, while morale and staffing decreases. There is no success story, folks. That's what is so insane that we continue to permit this to happen. And how it happens is, is in secrecy. The communities aren't aware of it, or they're told that this is somehow some savior or fix. The DOJ doesn't show their findings until politicians sign off on it, and then they're sort of made to believe that this is a temporary thing where it's not. And then once it's there, it's there. The money is flowing. And when I say money, there's a ton of money flowing. It is destruction at its finest. It destroys cities. It destroys departments. And we're only 30 years into this, folks. And here's the kicker. The city doesn't have to agree to it. The Department of Justice has no authority over local law enforcement agencies. The reason these cities and others are involved in consent decrees is, are you ready for this? They agreed to it. They agreed to it. And here's what ought to happen, because I don't anticipate the DOJ will stop. But if the DOJ goes into a city and they come out with these findings that find that these departments are horribly racist, which is so, so, so crazy. I'll give you the Louisville as an example. They pulled years and years of Louisville's reports and calls and videos and I think they listed four or five examples that they said was racially motivated they talked about policies that were wrong when they weren't and this is what they do that's a pattern in practice and they give no context in fact in Louisville they said we found these officers violated federal law and violated the civil rights laws and the community goes well who are they and why aren't you prosecuting the DLJ says we're not telling you that's how they do this because they can't defend what they write. They, they start off every consent decree with this ridiculous, the population in this city is this much African-American, and the stops and arrests are higher than the population, so that means there's this pattern and practice of racism. Not bringing in the crime that is occurring in that city, because you have to compare police against crime. I've said this so much, I get nauseous, because this is ridiculous. There's no researcher in the world that would say you can do methodology like that. If you're going to compare police activity against different race and ethnic groups, then you have to pull the crime from the ethnic and racial groups. The DOJ will never do that because that does not give them the answer they want. And we keep letting them do this. So the cities do not have to agree. What the cities could do is they could say, okay, this is the evidence you have. We reject this. Let's take this to court in front of a federal judge. You show your evidence. We'll refute that evidence and let the federal judge decide. They, they could force the DOJ to sue the city to enter in the consent decree, and the city could fight that. Only a few cities have done that. And you know what happened? The DOJ's not there. The DOJ doesn't investigate sheriff's departments predominantly. Why? Because the politics aren't there. The DOJ doesn't invest, I don't know, their own federal agencies, because the law permits them, the FBI, they've never done anything wrong, right? DEA, ATF, they've never done anything wrong. No, no, they select certain cities that they think they can just run roughshod over, and they've been highly successful. Well, the 
Next city that they're going after is the city of Phoenix. And I personally love the city of Phoenix. Wonderful place, wonderful people, wonderful golf, beautiful, beautiful city. I just returned from teaching just south of Phoenix. I go there several times a year. But see, this is different in Phoenix. Phoenix is not a strong mayor form of government. The DLJ needs the majority of the city council to simply agree to do this. And then once again, this is how they'll do it. The DLJ will finish their investigation up, and it's been going on since 2021, so it's probably almost complete. They will come into town. They'll sit down with the politicians that are making the decisions. They'll say, we found some things that trouble us. We want you to enter into an agreement to negotiate this consent decree. And the politicians could say, well, can you show us what you found? The DLJ is going to say, no, you have to sign this first, which is insane. It should tell you exactly where the DLJ is coming from. It's insane. You would never sign anything without seeing it. You never buy a car without seeing it. You never sign any contract without reading it. It's insane. This is how they do it. And weak, weak leaders do this. And what I am telling you now, Phoenix is different, and this is why. Because this is post-2020. These cities I mentioned previously were flourishing in staffing. Portland literally went years having less than 25 homicides, for goodness sakes, right? They're, they're, I mean, they are, they are so far beyond that, it's not even funny at this point. Phoenix, though, is different. They've not enjoyed that in 2020. 22, Phoenix had the highest violent crime they've had in 23 years. Their staffing, as I speak, is down 18%. So Phoenix is starting out where many of these cities have ended up after a consent decree. So what is a consent decree going to do to Phoenix when they're already starting out this way? And by the way, Phoenix should probably be the last place the DOJ should be. It's a major city. It's an urban environment. But man, they're a good department. Of course, they have their issues. Every large organization does, but they're very progressive, very proactive to deal with that. I've known several of the leaders through the years, most of them not there anymore because they saw the right on the wall of what was about to happen with the weakness in that city, and they have gone on to greener pastures. But Phoenix is not a place that you think of, well, we need federal government intervention like that would work. Okay, it's Obviously, the history says it doesn't work. It's not a place with major problems. Now, when, they, when the DLJ pulls a decade of calls and reports and body camera footage, by the way, Phoenix PD, they respond to 2 million calls a year. So you can easily suspect that they're making, I don't know, 5, 6 million contacts a year, maybe more than that. So over 10 years, 40, 50, 60 million interactions with the public. Do you think the DOJ is going to find a few things that they don't like? Well, of course they will. Of course they will. The, the question isn't, are there a few things that happen? The question is, can the DOJ stop that? The last time I checked, there's a lot of controversy in Chicago and Albuquerque and all these places where the DOJ is right now. They were not going to stop anything except a lot of people getting rich. Well, Phoenix is different because not only are we starting with high crime, not only are they starting, they're down in personnel. And you've already seen what happens to personnel in these cities when DLJ comes to town. Let me 
give you some other data that should really spook you when you hear about the DOJ coming to Phoenix. There is, I believe, I'm actually looking right now because I'll have the link to this article uh, up, but I want to get the number right. Um, there are a number of eligible retirees in Phoenix right now. In fact, I believe 17% of Phoenix officers could retire immediately. Okay. I'm actually going to try to find the exact number. It's either 17 or 18. We'll just go with 17. 17% of Phoenix officers could retire immediately. They're already down 18 points. Okay, so do the math there. Do the math there. Uh, and the union there did something pretty smart because they, they see the damage these have done. So they sent a survey out to their employees, and they said, will a consent decree affect your decision to retire or resign? 66% of those employees said yes. In fact, 13% said they would leave immediately. And then you compile all the answers. There were 66% that said it would play a factor in their resignation. But let's take the 13%, right? Let's take what they're already down. It's possible, folks. That if a consent decree happens in Phoenix, we will watch a major city police department go down 40 or 50% in staffing. Now, I don't have to tell you what's going to happen when that occurs. You know, they're, they're 18% down now. And my numbers, I'm, I may be off a percentage or two, but you can read the article in the link below. But they're 18% down now. Now, we know that many departments, major departments especially, they're down around that point. Some of them are. Now, we, we, here's how long, those of you that don't know this, we can get away with that in, in a certain sense because here's what we typically do. We, we pull some detectives away from their assignments and we kind of cut the, cut the fluff. All the sort of specialty units, specialized things, we send them back to patrol. Maybe we pay a bunch of overtime for people to work extra, which is a, obviously a, an issue down the road. But we sort of can make that up. It does affect operations. You're going to get longer response times. You can get the quality of investigations or investigations at all when that occurs. But, folks, when you get down 20 25%, which is going to happen, by the way, that's not even a no-brainer. 13% said they would leave immediately. You get past that. You get 25%, 30%, 35%, it's over. Phoenix will be the purge, folks. It will be something to watch. And that's why I'm sort of sounding the alarm on Phoenix because I am sick and tired of what if we let this happen and then we look back and go, well, that's really terrible what's going on in Seattle and Portland. Right? When is law enforcement going to wake up? When are we going to wake up and stop letting outside forces destroy us? Are we not tired of that yet? And folks, let me explain to you what this is about. There's some higher end folks in the Department of Justice that truly this is a cause. You know, you've got some top couple officials up there that have verbally said this is about reimagining police. It's about doing policing differently. You've even had people verbally talked about nationalizing police, which is what this essentially is. These Phoenix, if they sign off on this, will be ran by the federal government. They won't be able to, to, to go to the restroom without asking the federal government if it violates some sort of procedure they have. And so when they make these departments worse, then the federal government gets to come in and say, see, 
law enforcement is in such pitiful shape, we need a more national standard. We need, we need a more national police. That's what this is all designed to do, and how we are letting this happen is unbelievable. But what's so unbelievable is, is it doesn't have to happen. Not a chief's talking about it. Not an organization's talking about it. And in the, in the, in the city of Phoenix, let me tell you why the DOJ's there and why they're in other places. They make sure that the environment and the politics and the personnel are in place to not get in their way. Do you know who the chief is in Phoenix right now? I'm not going to give you his name. I'll be, I'll be talking about this guy in the future. He's the chief in Baltimore when they had a consent decree. And he's now the interim chief in Phoenix. He hired a lawyer from Washington, D.C. area to help the department as the DOJ was investigating. He's supposed, this lawyer is supposed to be a city, supposed to be a consultant for the city to help the city. The city signed a $1 million contract for a year for this guy. $1 million. I don't know how much he's been paid. But he's got a $1 million retainer. And guess, guess, what, guess what this lawyer's ties are to? His ties are all over the Department of Justice. He's attempted to be consent decree monitors. He was, I believe he was Bill Clinton's lawyer. He was a lawyer for a bunch of high-end Democrats through the years. This guy doesn't even live in Phoenix. He's getting paid all this money. And so you can see the players in place, right? This chief should be sounding the alarm like I am. He should be raising his department up, talking about how good they are, how they don't need the federal government. And I'll tell you where it's coming to. Right now, as I speak, the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office has been under a consent decree since 2008. The county has spent $240 million since then to try to comply. They're never going to comply because the monitor is making a ton of money. What's the monitor making? He's billing the county $200,000 a month. The guy lives in North Carolina. Maricopa County is renting office space for him, right? To the tune of $100,000 a year, but nobody from, from his monitor team has even been to Phoenix since January of 2020. Maricopa County is the county around Phoenix. So, do so you see what I'm talking about here? That is, you know, Bob Scales, you, you got to go back and listen to my podcast of Bob Scales because this guy was involved intimately with the Seattle consent decree early on. He knows the dirty pool. He calls this a, this, he calls this a, a Rico's deal. He, this, the corruption's so deep. He says this is racketeer influence and corruption. They should be under Rico. Like the crimes are being committed here. That's what Bob says. And what he's talking about is the, the money corruption and the, the handshake deals. I cannot believe that law enforcement particip is participating in this. Why? Because we think it helps? No. Everybody would tell you it doesn't help. Then why are we agreeing to it? Let me tell you something. If I find out that this Phoenix police chief has somehow rigged the system to make sure that that decree lands there, I won't be able to quit talking about this guy. 
Now, he don't care because he's, he's, he's going to be, you know, because he'll, he'll leave there and make his money elsewhere. All these chiefs, all these lawyers are all playing in the same sand, sand lot. They're all making the money, folks. I mean, what I just told you, the monitor at Maricopa County is, is billing them $200,000 a month. For what? What's he doing? Two hundred thousand a month, and the office space is one hundred thousand a year. That guy hadn't even been—he's such a great monitor. He hadn't even been to Phoenix for three years. This is a scam on epic proportions. I don't understand why I'm having to talk about. It, to be honest with you, I mean, this is what the media is for. This is what we should have leaders for. Where's our unions at? Where are they at? The people that are supposed to be defending us. Folks, everything that's the good has happened because of leadership and everything that bad that has happened because of leadership. So I'm not even going to blame the DOJ for this. I'm going to blame every silent leader out there that will not say anything because you're a bunch of scared little bitches. I'm telling you right now, this is sad. It's weak. It's destroying our cities. And more importantly, it's destroying our communities. People do not get better police service after the DOJ comes in and puts in consent decrees. If someone wants to tell me that they can prove that this works, I'll put you right here on the podcast. We'll talk about it. I'll let you write articles. If you want to prove to me this works, but let me tell you something. Don't be bringing your opinion because opinions and emotions is what's got us in this place. You better be bringing the data and facts. I just listed a bunch of them for you. You better bring it. Bring the receipts. This is embarrassing. And I know... If you follow me on Substack, travisyates.substack.com, I, I said a few articles ago, I'm, I'm going to stop talking about it, I promise. I can't. I can't. This is too detrimental. By us being silent, people are hurting. People are being victimized. Police are leaving their careers. Do you think Phoenix will ever be able to recruit anybody if they, if they do this consent decree? <laughs> no. But let me tell you, Phoenix has an opportunity, folks. They could be one of the few large cities that stood up and said, no, you think we're this bad? We don't think we are. You prove it and let the Department of Justice prove it. And if they prove it, we'll have another conversation. But if that report is like all the other reports they've done over the last 30 years, it's a copy and paste document with all their weak, sadistic methodology that's trying to paint that department into some bad department when they're not, I want to see it. Because I know that agency, I know a lot of those folks there. They're good people. The community's good people. The community deserves good law enforcement. And we deserve, as a profession, to be much better than this. Thank you for listening. Until next time, lead on and stay courageous. Thank you for listening to Courageous Leadership with Travis Yates. We invite you to join other courageous leaders at travisyates.org.